This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up can be really bad for you in the long run and have some terrible consequences. And this isn't a conspiracy theory. The more you let things build up, the more of a toll it can take on your mental health. I know for me, in dealing with some traumatic events in my life, I had the tendency to think, well, they've already happened. I'm okay. Other people have it worse. It doesn't matter much. And through therapy, was really able to understand how those events impacted me and changed how I'd start to see the world in ways that weren't great and were sometimes making my life worse. So therapy or dealing with any traumatic events you've had might really help you in terms of how you can live in the present moment now. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also really easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash conspiracy. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. In 1999, Edward A. Dames, a retired major in the United States Army, delivered the following words in an interview. We became better after our training process was over than the best natural psychics that ever lived. I became the training officer and the operations officer for a new psychic intelligence team, and we had a very, very interesting and colorful history. Dames is referring to his participation in Stargate Project, a CIA initiative to investigate psychic phenomena. From the 1970s to the early 90s, the United States military attempted to harness the powers of the human mind to benefit their own intelligence operations. Major Dames' work largely focused on a psychic tool known as remote viewing, the process of being able to see far-off places or objects without needing to be physically present. The CIA claims they terminated Stargate Project and declassified the operation in 1995 because it never provided any results. Edward A. Dames, however, would say otherwise. And he's not the only one. So what is the truth? What is the human mind really capable of? And why might the United States military not want us to know? Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a ParCast original. Every Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. 
And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Conspiracy Theories for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. At ParCast, we are grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. This is our first episode on remote viewing, a psychic technique that allows someone to see a place or location even if the viewer has never been there before. Officially, remote viewing is impossible, belonging in the realms of fantasy movies and con artists. But that hasn't stopped people from trying it. This week, we'll cover some history of psychic phenomena and the many scientific attempts to prove its existence, including an incredible amount of research by the United States military between 1970 and 1995. Though the CIA claims research on remote viewing ultimately proved fruitless, not everyone agrees. Next week, we'll explore the conspiracy theories surrounding the events in 1995 that shut down Stargate Project. Not only do some believe that remote viewing is possible, but they believe Stargate Project was only shut down because it found out too much, like proof of extraterrestrial life on Mars. Although the phrase remote viewing only surfaced within the past four decades, psychic phenomena has had a presence in our culture for thousands of years. Around 440 BCE, Herodotus penned histories, widely considered one of the founding works of Western literature. In histories, Herodotus writes about the steps that Croesus, the king of Lydia, took to find a trustworthy oracle. After the death of his son, Atis, Croesus hoped an oracle might help prevent more tragedy. But he was extremely wary of fraudsters and charlatans, so Croesus created a test to prove which oracle was real. In secret, Croesus chopped up a tortoise and a lamb and boiled them together in a brass cauldron. He then summoned the locals claiming to be oracles and asked each one what animal he was cooking. Only one oracle was correct, the oracle at Delphi. An excerpt from one English translation reads, On my sense there striketh the smell of a shell-covered tortoise boiling now on a fire, with the flesh of a lamb in a cauldron. Brass is the vessel below, and brass the cover above it. Today, most historians acknowledge that these oracles were more than likely influential figures who had informants to help them. That being said, it's important to note some specific aspects of this story that parallel work later performed by the U.S. military. First, Croesus conducted a blind, controlled experiment in order to evaluate the oracle's abilities. He also did so on a specific date and time. 
second, the oracles delivered their messages in verse, heightening the message from standard vernacular. Third, the Delphic oracles' response used specific sensory information in their vision. The vision begins by describing the smell of the tortoise being boiled. It doesn't only relay what they saw in the vision. However, oracles eventually fell out of favor, and from the ancient Greeks onward, most of our cultural references for psychic phenomena come from entertainment. Until the 19th century, when a few daring scientists began earnest attempts to prove the existence of extrasensory perception, which is today more commonly referred to as ESP. In 1882, in the midst of the spiritualism movement, the Society of Psychical Research was founded in London. It still exists today. The homepage of the Society's website claims that they were the first organization to conduct scholarly research into human experiences that challenge contemporary scientific models. In other words, they studied psychic and paranormal phenomena. On February 20th, 1882, the Society of Psychical Research named prominent philosopher Henry Sedgwick their first president. Contrary to what one might think, Sedgwick was not a fringe academic in his day. Just one year after being named president of the Society of Psychical Research, Sedgwick was named the senior professor of philosophy at Cambridge University. In Sedgwick's words, the society's goal was to drive the objector of telepathy into the position of being forced either to admit the phenomena as inexplicable, at least by him, or to accuse the investigators either of lying or cheating or of a blindness or forgetfulness incompatible with any intellectual condition except absolute idiocy. Some of the society's earliest test subjects were five sisters from Buxton, Derbyshire, Emily, Alice, Mary, Kathleen, and Maud Creary. Growing up, the five sisters allegedly played a game they referred to as the willing game. One of them would exit a room, during which time their father and their other sisters would select an object in the room. When the sister that exited re-entered, she would have to guess the object they had selected. According to their father, Reverend A.M. Creary, they did so with incredible accuracy. When asked how they would select the object, the sisters said they chose the item that appeared the most vivid in their minds. Intrigued, the Society of Psychical Research created experiments to test the sisters, such as asking them to name the number and suit of a hidden playing card. The Society began running these experiments in April of 1882. Though the Creary sisters' success rate was never perfect, they were still shocking. Their correct answers far exceeded what could mathematically be attributed to chance. In 1888, after the girls had undergone nearly seven years of testing, the Society of Psychical Research concluded the sisters were telepathic. Unfortunately, that same year, two of the sisters admitted to cheating. Apparently, the girls were giving subtle physical cues to assist each other in their guesses. 
One of their testers, Edmund Gurney, wrote, When the two sisters were inside of one another, the signals used were a slight upward look for hearts, downwards for diamonds, to the right for spades, and to the left for clubs. Further, the right hand put up to the face meant king, the left hand to the face meant queen, and knave was indicated by crossing the arms. Although the revelation of physical cues used by the Creary sisters hurt the credibility of the Society of Psychical Research, it's important to note that body language cannot account for all of the sisters' feats. There were tests performed in which they couldn't possibly have used physical cues. And the Creary sisters didn't admit to always cheating. They claimed to only cheat when they felt pressure to perform consistently. They didn't want to disappoint. They were, after all, incredibly young. When the test began, the oldest sister was 17, and the youngest was just 10 years old. Another thing to note, the girl's mood may have also played a role. When in good spirits, the sisters were more likely to accurately read one another's thoughts. And whether that is true or not, it won't be the last time someone makes that claim. To many outside observers, the Society of Psychical Research suffered from their desire to discover the existence of psychic phenomena, as opposed to discovering the truth. Hoping for a particular outcome can cause even the most well-intentioned scientist to succumb to the pratfalls of bias. Were some of the Society of Psychical Research experiments with the Creary sisters authentic? Or were they all just five clever girls giving grown men the answers they wanted? We can't say definitely, but we can say the Creary sisters weren't the last ones to dupe the Society of Psychical Research. In 1882, two men named G.A. Smith and Douglas Blackburn claimed they could communicate telepathically. So the Society designed a test. This particular experiment asked Smith to duplicate a drawing made by Blackburn without any means of sensory communication between them. Blackburn's description of the experiment reads as follows. Smith sat in a chair at the large table. His eyes were padded with wool and bandaged with a thick, dark cloth. His ears were filled with one layer of cotton wool, then pellets of putty. His entire body and the chair on which he sat were enveloped in two very heavy blankets. Beneath his feet and surrounding his chair were thick, soft rugs, rightly intended to deaden and prevent signals by foot shuffles. Smith being rendered contact-proof and perfectly insulated, my part began. Blackburn walked around the room, focusing on the drawing that he had made. When the experiment ended, Smith replicated Blackburn's drawing perfectly. It appeared there was concrete evidence of telepathy. Until... 26 years later, in 1908, when Blackburn admitted to faking the results. He said he used a pencil that could hide a rolled-up drawing inside it. When Smith claimed to have received the image, he asked for a pencil and Blackburn handed over the trick pencil with his drawing inside. Though Blackburn admitted to fraud, Smith did not 
He maintained that he held psychic abilities for the entirety of his life. It boils down to one man's word against the other. Well, who's to say that Blackburn wasn't lying when he admitted to cheating? Well, who's to say he wasn't put up to it by someone who wanted everyone to believe it was fake? Either way, the optics of the society's experiments were not good. The credibility of the Society of Psychical Research continued to suffer. Psychologist C.E.M. Hansel writes in ESP and Parapsychology, a critical re-evaluation. As it is, the outcome of the investigations of the Creary sisters and of Smith and Blackburn merely demonstrate the fact, confirmed time after time, that intelligent men can be deceived quite easily when their powers of observation are biased by their underlying beliefs. But as all good conspiracy theorists know, the failure of one experiment to prove the existence of something doesn't necessarily disprove its existence. The experiments with the Creary sisters and Smith and Blackburn weren't the last efforts to find out the truth about ESP, not in the slightest. In 1921, French chemical engineer René Warcoli would become the first scientist ever to put forth theories on just how telepathy might work. Coming up, further failed attempts to unlock the human mind's potential. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now, back to the story. Decades before the CIA began experiments with remote viewing, a French chemical engineer named René Warcoli published a book titled La Telepathie. After the book's 1921 publication, Warcoli became a leader in the study of ESP. In fact, in 1940, Warcoli became the editor of the Revue Metaphysique, the scholarly journal for the Institut Metaphysique International. Then, in 1948, he published a follow-up to La Telepathie called Mind to Mind. In Mind to Mind, Warcoli wrote that he believed that psychic communication is actually relatively primitive, a pre-language form of communication. He also believed that telepathy shared more of a connection to wishes, emotions, and fears than to the sharply defined objects of the world. It related more to instinct than to analysis. Warcoli also asserted that there was nothing supernatural about psychic phenomena. It could be attributed to real psychological aspects of the mind. It was around this time that the term parapsychology gained popularity an attempt to legitimize the science of psychic communication. 
Perhaps most importantly to future developments in research, he believed that information transferred via telepathy always came in the form of an image. Warcoli wrote in Mind to Mind, As the telepathic impulse takes shape, it wells up into the consciousness of the receiver or percipient and takes the form of images. These images may be distorted as are dream images whose symbolism calls for interpretation. It's that exact word, interpretation, that skeptics of psychic abilities have always had a problem with. With so much up for interpretation, it is near impossible to create a controlled experiment. Orkoli himself even acknowledged as much and designed his experiments to account for that. Orkoli separated his test subjects into two different rooms to prevent corroboration. He then designated one as the sender of information and the other as the receiver. In one room, the sender would draw an object or scene on a piece of paper, thereby creating what he referred to as a target. In another room, sometimes another city or country, the receiver would attempt to draw the same image. The results of Warcoli's experiments were relatively positive, and he believed he was able to identify factors that affected accuracy. One such was that the messages took time to transfer from sender to receiver, like sending a letter in the mail, and then waiting three to five business days for it to be delivered. He called this concept latency. He also asserted that telepathic messages were delivered in multiple transmissions, and those transmissions might affect each other, even if they were sent at different times. For example, if a series of letters were lost in a postal mix-up and delivered out of order. Another hurdle Warcoli describes in Mind to Mind is the human imagination. He writes, The purposeful attempt on the part of the percipient to use his imagination to gain the telepathic impression seems to hinder success. Warcoli claimed that memories and the human imagination were stronger than telepathic communication and could thus interfere. If an image was drawn incorrectly, he believed it could often be traced back to what he calls an interfering memory. In essence, people might draw what they wanted to see rather than what they actually saw. Warcoli's research added a level of legitimacy to the parapsychology community. Even still, Warcoli acknowledged that his studies were just the beginning. He knew more work had to be done, and in order for that to happen, a shift needed to happen. Parapsychology needed to be embraced by the scientific community at large. Though that acceptance didn't come in his lifetime, research into telepathy and other psychic phenomena didn't stop. In the early 1970s, experiments began at the Stanford Research Institute, an independent institute not associated with Stanford University. These experiments became the basis for the Stargate Project. The first experiments were led by scientists Russell Targ and Harold Putoff. They were specifically interested in remote viewing. Born in 1936, Harold Putoff held a PhD in electrical engineering. 
Though he dabbled in Scientology, he later left the church. It's important to note, however, because his interest in parapsychology began during the years he was a Scientologist. Russell Targ was born in Chicago in 1934. A well-respected physicist, Targ joined Putoff at the Stanford Research Institute in the Laboratory on Electronics and Bioengineering in 1972. At first, their studies were focused on individuals who already claimed to have developed psychic abilities, including some who were already well-known for their claims, like magician Yuri Geller and the psychic Ingo Swan. Geller and Swan's celebrity immediately garnered attention for the Stanford Research Institute's program. Geller's claim to fame was his purported ability to bend a spoon with his mind. Unfortunately, in strictly controlled conditions at the Institute, Geller was unable to repeat the feat, and once again, credibility for parapsychologists suffered. The silver lining was that Targ and Putoff's experiments didn't allow Geller's sleight of hand to undermine their process. Unlike previous investigations, it appeared that they managed to create a controlled environment that could prevent fraud. And despite this early disappointment, public opinion only shifted in their favor through the 1970s. In 1975, the University of Otago in New Zealand surveyed a number of psychology students about their beliefs in ESP. The results were surprising. A majority of the students believed in ESP. Even more intriguing, a third of them believed that they themselves had psychic powers. The poll was conclusive evidence that the public was interested in phenomena that had yet to be accurately measured by science, including palm readings and astrology. And as the public's interest in parapsychology increased, the United States government did as well. You're likely familiar with the space race and the nuclear arms race. You might be less familiar with another Cold War race, the mind race, or the ESP Enage race. When the United States discovered that Russia had been studying parapsychology and remote viewing for years, the U.S. government began to fear that they may be falling behind the communists when it came to developing weapons. According to Sheila Ostrander and Lynn Schroeder, co-authors of the 1970 book Psychic Discoveries Behind the Iron Curtain, the United States had been focused more on proving the existence of psychic abilities, while the Soviet Union was focused on applications for psychic abilities. This initial difference was due to the classification of parapsychology in each country. While the USSR considered it a branch of biology and physiology, the United States barely embraced it as a subset of psychology. But thanks to the Cold War, that was about to change. In an interview in 1979, Congressman Charlie Rose had the following to say about participants at the Stanford Research Institute. What these persons saw was confirmed by aerial photography. Some of the intelligence people I've talked to know that remote viewing works, although they still block further research on it, since they claim it is not yet as good as satellite photography. But it seems to me that it would be a hell of a cheap radar system. And if the Russians have it and we don't, we are in serious trouble. 
1980, the House Committee on Science and Technology released a statement saying, given how advanced Soviet studies were, the United States Congress may wish to reassess the state of their own parapsychology research. Soon after, the government allocated money to substantially increase their efforts. And this marked a move from experimenting on known psychics to experimenting on soldiers, regular people who'd made no claims of psychic ability. Because of the top-secret nature of the government's studies, the timeline of the United States' research can be difficult to nail down. From what we can glean, it goes as follows. Prior to the increase in aid, in 1977, the Army Systems Exploitation Detachment began an evaluation called Gondola Wish to decide if it was worth pursuing remote viewing. After deciding it was worth continued study, that evaluation formally transitioned into a project titled Grill Flame in 1978. At first, their aim was to use the information gained psychically only to cross-reference existing intelligence. A few years later, in 1982, the program became part of the Army Intelligence and Security Command under the name Project Center Lane. It had limited headquarters at Fort Meade, Maryland. Then, in 1991, the program was returned to the oversight of doctors Targ and put off at the Stanford Research Institute. Here, it operated under the code name Stargate Project. Under Stargate Project, the United States military and Ingo Swan trained soldiers in remote viewing for the next four years. Up next, we'll look at the official remote viewing experiments that have been declassified by the CIA. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use gift mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Now, back to the story. In the midst of the Cold War, the United States learned the Soviet Union had been conducting research into psychic phenomena and ways to use it for espionage for years. Desperate for any advantage, the United States increased their own research into ESP and remote viewing. In the 1970s, the mind race began. To be clear, Stargate Project was not a large unit. 
At any given time, it was made up of only 15 to 20 individuals. And according to participants like Joseph McMonagall, their accommodations weren't exactly state-of-the-art. That said, the experiments ran for decades, and in 1992, the U.S. Senate allocated $2 million to Stargate Project for the next two years of continued experiments. In 1995, the CIA declassified documents associated with Stargate Project and their study of remote viewing. The documents identify a six-step process that lead scientists Russell Targ and Harold Putoff used for their studies. Step one, target pool selection. Targets were objects that remote viewers would attempt to visit or see in their mind. The criterion for selecting these targets was fairly simple. They needed to be visually unique. For instance, instead of selecting a particular street corner as a target, they would instead select a bridge, garden, plaza, or tower. It was vital that the subject have no knowledge of the target. Step two, subject orientation. This was more or less a briefing. Whoever was attempting to perform remote viewing, known as the subject, would be educated on the goals of the experiment. Often, they would be shown samples of prior sessions. It was stressed that raw sense data was most valuable. For instance, things like color, shape, smell, and texture. Reporting that they saw a round blue metal object was more important than trying to determine what the object actually was. In step two, the scientists also explained to the subject that imagination was an inhibitor. This instruction either corroborates parapsychologist René Warcoli's belief, or it was taken directly from his work. Step three and four were called outbound experimenter behavior and inbound experimenter behavior. From what we can tell, these steps happened somewhat simultaneously. The inbound experimenter was the person documenting the behavior of the subject who would be attempting remote viewing of a target. The outbound experimenter was the person who would travel to each target and document anything he noticed. As the outbound experimenter traveled to each remote viewing target, the inbound experimenter would make the subject feel comfortable and safe. They would then give the subject a pen, paper, and an audio recorder. The subject was asked to describe or draw the outbound experimenter's location. Part 5. Feedback. The outbound experimenter would return and provide the results. Apparently, in this step, it was critical that the subject feel a sense of completion. They didn't want one experiment to somehow bleed into the next. The final step, judgment. In this step, an unbiased judge would receive images of the drawings and recordings from the subject and try and match them with images of the target. This could be done in two ways, direct matching or rank ordering. Direct matching was a one-to-one match between the subject's observations and the target's. Rank ordering paired each target with all of the observations, ranking them from most to least likely. If that whole process sounds a little vague and confusing, you're not alone. 
Some people believe that Targ and Putoff intentionally overcomplicated their methods to appear more credible. Targ and Putoff have also been accused of altering their data and intentionally making it vague. With this in mind, there's data from Stargate Project that could be interpreted to mean remote viewing is real. However, the CIA chose not to interpret it that way, shuttering the project in 1995, the same year they declassified it. However, Ingo Swan, in his lifetime, maintained the legitimacy of Stargate Project and all of his work. In fact, he scoffed when people asked him to test his abilities, saying, I only work with researchers on well-designed experiments. Targ and Putoff also insisted on the legitimacy and importance of their work. Though it's important to note that it would be normal for anyone to defend their life's work, even if it was proved fruitless. Since Stargate Project's documents have been released, there have been other attempts to replicate their experiments. New Zealand researchers tried to replicate the methodology of Targ and Putoff, and their findings were firmly in the remote viewing is impossible camp. Today, the scientific community at large refutes the idea of psychic abilities and remote viewing, and officially, Remote viewing is no longer a practice in any branch of the U.S. government. But not everyone is so convinced that the CIA terminated Stargate Project because remote viewing wasn't working. Which brings us to the conspiracy theories. All of which posit that Stargate Project found out too much information, not too little. Conspiracy theory number one. Remote viewing was used for espionage in Eastern Europe and South America and uncovered top-secret information that the CIA didn't want leaked. Conspiracy theory number two. Remote viewing was used to try and uncover mysteries that the CIA wanted to cover up. And conspiracy theory number three. Remote viewing was used to travel into space and the CIA didn't want the public to know about extraterrestrial life they found. Well, next week, we'll dig into those theories. And you may be thinking to yourself that they all sound a little unbelievable, but the first step to believing is opening your mind. And if you open your mind, maybe you'll find yourself on Mars. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. We'll be back Wednesday with a new episode. Uh, you can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Conspiracy Theories, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Conspiracy Theories on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. Until then, remember, the truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. 
Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Travis Clark, and Joel Stein. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by S. Beasley, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. 